Let me pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it is in times of challenge and in times of joy. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through it, that we may know about our relationship to you, our relationship to each other, and our relationship to the world. So, Lord, we do pray um, at this time that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to you as we consider just part of it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, my mother's family, when I was growing up, was right into the NRL. Um, it was family tradition that we would, you know, get together at semi-finals and at grand finals, and we'd um, have that little friendly competition between who was supporting whom. And we had some sort of relational connection through our family. So through my mother's side of the family, through a match of an auntie to an uncle. Um, uh, they were Sigsworths. Now, does anyone recognise that name from NRL? One person. Thank you, brother. I will talk to you after. So, Phil Sigsworth was an NRL player. He played for Newtown, then he played for Manly, Canterbury-Bankstown, Balmain. He was in the state of origin and he was in the Aussie team for a little while as well. And so, we had this family connection to NRL. And as a young guy growing up, I couldn't care less. I just wasn't that into it. I mean, I loved the family events around um, the uh, the, uh, the finals and the grand finals, and sometimes we got to go, and that was a good event. But we'd have splits between us and have to choose. I would have to choose who to support. Sometimes I chose to support Parramatta. Sometimes it was the Rabbitohs. Sometimes it was the Saints. Um, sometimes, a little later, it was the Sharkies as well. Um, I had a trouble choosing who to be loyal to, because I confessed, I confess now to being swayed by whoever was winning at the time, or which family member I wanted to sit next to during those events. Um, unlike one of my friends, Cameron. Now, Cameron is a lifelong Saints supporter. And he actually, when uh, the merger was happening between St George and Illawarra, actually led protests. Uh, protest marches because he didn't want his saints to be polluted by the Illawarra. In fact, there's a picture of him that I saw not that long ago from the media at the time, the local newspaper, which had Cameron carrying a coffin, which had the saints flag on it. That's passionate he was. And now the dragons uh, are St George Illawarra and the world didn't end. And despite all that, Cameron is still actually loyal to his saints. That's his choice. It's okay to choose which team to support and to be as enthusiastic or as casual as you like. Although people tend to respect the loyal fans who stay true no matter what and not to respect people like me in that realm who um, get, uh, you know, hard to get the care factor up and just couldn't be bothered. There were many times I could have been accused of having divided loyalties. The trouble is not all choices carry the same weight and not all tests of loyalty have the same impact. It doesn't really matter which footy team you support, go for it. But other choices have more significant consequences uh, for life and sometimes beyond life. And I guess it can be how you look at it. We're looking at the book of James, the opening chapter of it today. And just a few things about James that help us to understand it. The author was the early church leader, James the Just, probably the brother of Jesus. Uh, the audience were Messianic Jews who were dispersed at the time. Uh, the context were, were Christians facing persecutions and facing difficulties and struggles. And the general message of the book of James is 
Stay loyal to the choice you've made to follow Jesus. It's actually a pretty black or white book. And it, uh, James uses languages of language of extremes and often paints life in terms of a series of choices which are opposites. He talks about joy versus suffering, faith versus works, praise versus cursing, pride versus humility, fairness versus favoritism, and on and on he goes. And overall, um, it seems the worst characteristic of a follower of Jesus could have, according to James, is divided loyalties, not knowing where you actually side or who you're going to be loyal to. Now, we, we face choices every day, and sometimes it's really hard to choose. You would have made choices on your way here today that seem minuscule to you and yet significant, and yet choices we face all the time which are rather large. And these past years around us, as we were just chatting when John and I were chatting, highlighted what you already know, um, uh, a world of heightened anxiety, of stresses and pressures which pile onto us when we have choices to make or are faced with choices that we've never actually faced before. And I cannot imagine what some of you and certainly other people in your community have faced and the choices that you've had to face in the crises that have been presented to you and that are larger in our world um, around at the moment. So the pressure for us, I guess, is to be overwhelmed, to allow the circumstances to carry us along. Uh, Too many choices to make, too much choice fatigue. How can I see my world in a way that encourages me to choose well even when things are overwhelming? I guess in a way it might be all the way you look at it and certainly what James speaks into. When facing struggles, what does James say? So you might want to have your Bible open with you as we look at James chapter 1 for a bit and uh, sometimes on the screen behind me there will be some of those. If you can't see that, that's okay. I'll be reading some of it out to you. Let's see what James says really quickly about some of these different dichotomies that he says, uh, what are we going to do? Firstly, when facing struggles, he says, joy or suffering is the question. And he says uh, in verses 2 to 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, first, if you were reading this and you hadn't read it before, you might be going, well, that sounds a bit tone deaf, right? Joy or suffering? James seems to want us to look at things through a different lens than we naturally would. But perspective is important, right? Perspective is important. Do you remember those magic eye things? You remember those things that you get the books, they were a rage 20 or so years ago, and you get the books and it just looked like all these different dots. You think, That's not a picture. That's not a real picture. I can't see anything. And you'd be told to blur your eyes a bit or see through the suddenly a dolphin will jump out of it or something like that you remember those um, a lot of you are nodding is that the life is divided into two sorts of people those who can see magic eye and those who can't so who can see who could see it i could see it who tried hard and could never do it see i told you there's both of us here right a perspective isn't it you look at something through a different perspective and sometimes the picture change, changes. And I think that's a little bit what James is saying here. 
I mean, counsellors and psychologists would encourage us during grief, grief or anxiety or depression to try for a moment to step out of our situation and consider a different view before jumping back in and take that new perspective with us. So here, James, you do seem a little bit unreasonable though, don't you? I mean, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider my suffering, my situation, joy. As I said, I can't, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be involved in the crisis that has been in Lismore um, over the last few years. But I don't know that on a surface reading, joy would have been something that we should have been telling people to be. But remember, James is writing in extremes. We shouldn't take this to mean ignore suffering or minimise suffering, but choose in the midst of grief or struggle to look for light in the darkness, to look for colour in the colourless, to look for hope in despair. James might say it's all how you look at it. Choose a different lens. Look for the divine purpose hidden behind or within the struggling. Now, my theology says God doesn't send us things that are evil. But in all situations that come to us, he redeems those or sows colour into the darkness or puts some light into the shadow. And we can sometimes look for that. Well, at least that's what James seems to be encouraging when he says, facing struggles, there might be some joy in the suffering. What about when it comes to loyalty? says James. Is it going to be God or the world? Verses 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. That double-minded phrase comes along all the time in James and it's that loyalty thing, stay loyal, stay true. So when it comes to loyalty, is it God or the world? Now, James, again, this seems a bit extreme, doesn't it, on the first reading? When you think about oceans in the Bible, the oceans are about chaos. Now, just over the last week or so, um, in Sydney, the seas along all the coast have been really high and there was a cargo ship that got into a lot of trouble. Um, in the really high seas and the storms that were around at the time. And uh, it was trying to get to a place that was safe to do some repairs because its engine had failed. And so uh, the drama was it could have gone under or it could have been washed into rocks overnight. And so the bravest people in the world sometimes are those tugboat drivers and pilots who actually go out in the midst of the storm in boats that look far too small to be in the midst of such a storm. And they seemed to bat high above their weight, right, that they could make a difference And yet they did. They saved, they redirected, they uh, pushed the boat into safer waters and then actually pushed it in to Botany Bay where it could be uh, repaired. The tugs came to the rescue. It's amazing that the small difference in a big storm can actually be transformational. And Jesus says, what are you relying on? James says, what are you relying on? Rely on the one who can make a transformational difference, even in the lives of us who seem like we can't make much of a difference. Compared to overwhelming circumstances, 
James says, rely on the one who is foundational and strong and in the midst of the waves and the storm, you can be secure. Choose a different lens. When feeling overwhelmed, which is understandable, it's all, it can be how you look at it. Choose to rely on the security that God shows. God, the rock, our firm foundation, the unchangeable one. He is worthy of our loyalty because following him makes a difference. All right, so James is trying to teach us in suffering, look for the light. When it comes to um, unstable times, who are you going to rely on? Look to God. When it comes to wealth, position, possession, power, will we respond with humility or pride? 9 to 11, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Gosh, when you read James, I said, it's language of extreme, right? And he just hits you between the eyes almost every time. It's all how you look at it. James is saying, what are you relying on? Is it your wealth? Is it your resources? Pretty easy to have that um, pulled out from under you if that's what you're doing when crisis comes and some of those things are taken away. But James says, in those struggling situations, again, be loyal to the one who provides all, not to the provisions that are just things that may be taken away. And so the different lens to look, look at is one that is about being grateful and generous, gratitude and generosity. Well, we're pushing through to verse 18. When it comes to temptation, is it trust or is it blame? Blessed is the one, says verse 12, who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James, thanks for the blessing. Finally, we get to some positive words that focus us on the God who provides good things. And whenever you see a good thing, says James, that is a good thing that God has actually provided. But can't I blame someone, James, please? I mean, there's so many bad things. Can't, I, I wanted to blame ScoMo, but now maybe I need to blame Albo. Maybe I need to blame Wuhan. Maybe a neighbour, maybe a parent, maybe the local council. Or maybe, God, sometimes I feel like I want to blame you. They're natural things that we are sent to when we're under pressure. We sort of, the suffering and pressure of any type makes us wear some blinkers and we want to lash out. And I've got to tell you, I think there have been too many Christians lashing out lately. The, the pandemic particularly has made us all on edge and that makes sense. 
But what we've seen, our team in our churches, is that people are turning on each other. They're turning on their brothers and sisters. And they're starting to get annoyed and irritated about things that shouldn't really annoy and irritate, but should be addressed with grace and love and forgiveness and the fruit of the Spirit. It's sort of an understandable pressure because we're human beings. So when we're under pressure, we do lash out because we're emotional and we've pushed stuff down and it's been challenging and it's been so difficult and it is allowed to be difficult and it's allowed to be challenging and we're allowed to feel feelings about that. But the challenge comes, as James gives it, how are we going to see the situation that we're in? Are we going to lash out about something that it's not really the issue that we're upset about? Are we going to let bubble over the things that we might have just overlooked before because we're all anxious and upset? It's normal to be anxious and upset. But Jesus would say, in the end of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control that is informed by love, joy, peace, patience, grace, faithfulness. Who can we be loyal to that actually guides us in that? Well, the answer, of course, is God. And it can be how you look at it. See all things through a different lens, through the lens, in this case, of grace. Now, we know life is not always black and white as James tends to paint it for the purposes of teaching, which are true and good. But it is full of greys, if you'll pardon the pun, since my name is grey and I'm telling you this. But it is full of greys. Every situation is different. Now, there are truths that are foundational and absolute in the Scriptures. But our circumstances... <laughs> Uh, difficult to apply those two sometimes. It'd be a mistake, therefore, for the take-home from this talk to be stop whinging about suffering, be more joyful, or stop being proud, be more humble, or stop blaming God, be more faithful. That seems simplistic and guilt-inducing, and it's not my point at all. The real key to what James is talking about in the whole book is encouraging a people who are suffering and struggling and under pressure to see life through a different lens. The lens of the gospel, the lens of Jesus, it can be how you look at it. Um, on uh, YouTube, there are a number of uh, different situations where some people have gifted something to someone and it's changed their life and the way they see things. Let's have a look at this one just here.
It's good to be able to see the world that God, the way that God created it. Sometimes it's hard to see the world the way that God created it because there's a lot of darkness around that covers it up, right? There's a lot of distortion around that makes it unclear. And yet in the midst of the difficulties and when the darkness is darkest and when the colourlessness is really drab, the goodness and the grace of God, by contrast, is even greater, Right? And so in the midst of challenges, if we can put on the glasses that let us see with gospel eyes, in the midst of the darkest places, we can find some light or shed some light. In the midst of the places that seem colourless, we can see colour or provide some colour. In the midst of hopelessness, in Jesus, we can see and provide hope. In the midst of despair and lovelessness, we can, in Jesus, see love and provide love. In the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of conspiracy and then in the midst of suspicion, when we see through the eyes of the gospel, there is truth that can be found and spoken about and pointed towards. In the midst, the thing about Jesus is he actually doesn't promise to take away the struggles. But he says, I will be with you and never forsake you. And if you let me change the way you look at things, I can give you a purpose and a hope in the midst of that which is difficult. It's been great to hear sometimes the hope that you have been part of providing this community, just even through what's in your back hall or through the, the trailer or through the conversations that have happened around those spaces. You might think they're not very much. They are absolutely integral to what God is doing in his world, in this town, in your relationships. The encouragement is to see your life through the eyes of the gospel and to ask Jesus to help you through what is next. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of that which is a challenge, you are right here with us. Thank you for your people here at Lismore and in this, this community that has risen, who have risen to the challenge to be your people in the place of darkness and tragedy. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and equip them to be resilient in that calling. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, for people in this community who are feeling personally that pressure 
and that stress through life circumstance, through the ongoing nature that just seems unrelentless. Lord, I I pray, Lord, that you would be giving them resilience and hope and grace and encouragement through your people and through their relationship with you. Lord, help us to see things through your perspective. Lord, help us to see the light in the darkness, the colour where it seems colourlessness. Help us to see the grace amidst despair. Help us to see forgiveness in conflict. Help us, Lord, to be hopeful and to encourage one another along the way for your glory and for the sake of those we love and care about and the sake also of our neighbour and the stranger. Lord, be with us and this people, we pray, in this way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.